0: Hello and welcome back to Oh God What Now, the politics podcast that is camped outside Mar-a-Lago with popcorn and sparklers. I'm Andrew Harrison. On today's episode, supersonic Sunak on course to smash the general election, said all the columnists last week, and even we were ready to grudgingly admit that maybe it turned the Tory supertanker around. And then Friday's poll figures came in. Labour up six points to 50% according to Omnisys, with small boats, the Windsor framework and the eclipse of Boris Johnson all adding up to a 2.4 for the Tories can soon act turn it around again for the local elections. Plus, someone who's going to be wearing even more orange soon, Donald Trump, is less than a day away from arrest in the liberal Twitter equivalent of the moon landings. What will it mean when it happens? And the rise of monalism, or why the papers are always telling you about how that thing you like isn't all that. There are no monalists on the panel today. Instead, we have Arthur Snell, host of Doomsday Watch, and author of How Britain Broke the World. Hello, Arthur. Hi, Andrew. So, a quick one. What did you make of the... Somewhat audacious killing of the Russian pro-war blogger Vladen Tatarsky in a cafe in St.
1: Petersburg with a bomb hidden inside a golden bust. Apparently, yeah. So never, if someone comes up to you offering a small bust of yourself, do not accept. Um, that's that's today's lesson. Um, yeah, it's very. It, this is interesting because there's been the pattern of these things happening in Russia. You know, factories blow up, things catch fire. There was the attempted assassination on Alexander Dugin that ended up killing uh, his daughter. Um, and then the, the question is, well, who is this? Is it Ukrainians? Maybe. But that's quite a lot thing to organise to get a, a blowing-up statue. Is it Russian partisans? Is it some other NATO country? Some people have, have claimed that. and In fact, we did a Doomsday Watch special pod on, on this very question. Uh, the Russians are claiming... That this was done by Daria Tropova, who is a supporter of Alexei Navalny. Now let's remember that he's a mainstream sort of anti corruption politician. So that's rather like sort of accusing I don't know. Someone in the Lib Dems of of being likely to carry out an assassination doesn't seem very plausible. But uh, I don't know. Ed Davies got a look at. Well, head. that's right. Yes. Um, Tim Farron. <laughs> Tim Farron. <if> <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. okay. It sounds like you all think the Lib Dems would be up for this. <laughs> but um, my, my thought, You're the
2: provisional Liberal Democrats. <laughs> yes.
1: My, my thought is that it, it is it is rather convenient to assume that the main political opposition figure in Russia also carries out covert assassinations. Is, do you have any reason to think it, there's a particular
0: person that it might be? Or is that just a fool's errand at this well, point?
1: Well, I think, I think given that there are, th- this is not an isolated incident, I think you have to assume there, is, there are networks at work in Russia. And then basically you would say this is probably either the Ukrainians and or uh, Russian sort of partisans. But, but we're, we're not talking about regular political groups. You know, we're talking about people who've, who've crossed the Rubicon and you know, are, are well into the kind of revolutionary side of things. Also with us, Ahir Shah, writer, comedian,
0: actor and man about town. Hello, Ahir. Hello, Andrew. So it's Easter, which means the new tradition of 10-hour delays at customers to get into France is Mm. is well in the swing. Did you enjoy John Redwood advising people to holiday in Britain instead with our lovely beaches?
3: Yeah, listen, it's true that there are plenty of absolutely gorgeous places uh, in the UK to go to. Uh, Many of them buy bodies of water. If Sir John can find one that isn't actively having shit pumped into it, that Mm. would be absolutely fantastic. I think this has been a weird story where you've had, you know, over the last few years, travel volumes massively affected by COVID and the second they pick up again to what were precedingly normal levels, we realised the impacts of what was always going to happen when you introduce friction at the border. It's not Brexit. Sorry. It's not
0: Brexit. (laughs) She said so on the telly. It's not Brexit.
3: Yeah. So I think at time of recording, at least like number 10 have accepted in so many words that yes, of course, like Brexit has something to do with this. Suella Bravnan did deny uh, that. But I find the refusal to admit any trade-offs absolutely baffling like i feel like it goes to the back to the beginning of uh the whole brexit process right like david davis in 2016 saying that there was uh no downside only considerable upside to this but realistically if you're if you're whatever it is that you're promoting if you say like oh it's just listen it's 100 percent win then you're gonna sound a bit mad when you're doing that right and i did And I remember, for example, a few years ago, I think Jacob Rees-Mogg realistically stating that, yeah, Brexit is a multi-decade project to remake the British state in its entirety. And while I don't agree with that project, he at least, like, said it uh, and therefore... After the vote. Yeah. yeah. Not before the vote, after the vote. Like, what did people think that it was, uh, really? Um, So I think that there is... This sort of matters because there are so few things that you can pick up as like, look, here is a really readily identifiable win. And Mr. Rees-Mogg is still asking people to write in explaining what the great Brexit uh, benefits are. It therefore means that you have to pretend that these sorts of things, which are very obvious consequences of getting friction into a system that was previously frictionless. You have to just
0: pretend that it's nothing to do with it. And you sound weird. Well, you know, they said they'd stop the boats. They just... Didn't say which boats. So completing the panel, Marie LeConte is a columnist. She's the author of Escape, How a Generation Shaped, Destroyed and Survived the Internet. Hello, Marie. How are you? Hello,
2: I'm very well. How are you?
0: I'm all right. Well, I've got bad news for you. You're actually a bad person. Not my words, your own words. You wrote in the New States one about how you broke lockdown rules and your complicated feelings about watching Boris Johnson being grilled for it. How difficult is it to hope he's going to get punished while you're sort of like slightly going, I need a little bit of that?
2: Oh, it's incredibly easy. Like, it is unbelievably easy. Um, in that, you know, I did not make the rules. Like, the first thing me, I did not make the rules. So I think it is a lot less bad for me to have broken the rules. But also, secondly, you know, I was living by myself in a very small flat. Uh, my bedroom had no windows. I have crippling ADHD and I'm a massive extrovert. So, and I was going completely mad. So I did break the rules. Um, You know, basically, I I observed most of the rules most of the time. um, But also, I tried quite hard not to top myself. And sometimes that meant breaking the rules. And I'm intensely comfortable with that. Um, But but, but the thing I think I found frustrating about Boris is that, you know, he he doesn't seem because at least I know, again, as I said in the piece, you know, I, I, I know I'm not a great person, again, to kind of quote, the good plays, the TV show, which is really good if you've not watched it, by the way. Um, So the main character at some point is that, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't think I I belong in heaven, clearly, but I'm not sure I belong in hell either. I think I deserve to spend eternity in like Cincinnati or something. (laughs) And I I agree with that. You know, I, I belong in the internal Cincinnati. Whereas I think Boris, as far as I can tell, does not seem to have reckoned with his own moral failings in any way, which I find intensely frustrating.
0: First up this week Swapping Mexican Cokes for Dandelion and Burdock Rishi Sunak is back in his Yorkshire constituency for once Gearing up for the local elections on May the 5th With the Windsor framework in place to diffuse the Northern Ireland issue And lots of red meat lying around on small boats for the headbangers Conservatives were beginning to think that he had turned the corner But it's not quite that easy The same omniscient poll that gave Labour a 23-point lead over the Conservatives also records a big leap in Keir Starmer's own rating as best next Prime Minister. He's up seven points to 41%, with Sunak down eight to just 29%. So what was the point of all that then? Marie, are columnists who are kind of predicting the Rishi Renaissance doing it just because they believe it's true or because they want it to be true for the story?
2: Um, I think there's a mix of a few different things here. The, the, the first obvious one is that, yes, there are a lot of conservative leaning columnists and is kind of in their interest, I think consciously or unconsciously, to go, actually, it's fine. Maybe it's not all dead, you know, and actually our guys can kind of like win the next election. So I think, again, so, so I think, you know, that that's probably the main part of it. But also, and this is slightly cynical, but also very much drawn from personal experience, there is nothing to write about at the moment. And I know, you know, obviously whatever violin you end up getting out will be too big somehow. Um, But it's really hard to write a weekly column about politics, you know. Like yeah. Just ha- having to come up with an idea every single week, I know because I have to do it for the independent, is quite hard. And at the moment, there is nothing going on, which I know because every Sunday night when I have to pitch, I basically break into a cold sweat and I'm like, God, there's nothing. Um, so, so I wonder if a, a lot of it is not basically just columnists going, we need something to happen. Now, we cannot all write the same column every week for the next year and a half, which is, yeah, the Tories are basically stuffed even though Rishi is broadly competent and Keir is quite boring, but we'll probably win. Because that, that is the reality of, you know, that that, that's politics right now. There's nothing else going on. Um, But yeah, so so I think I'm sure there's, yeah, again, consciously or subconsciously, Tory-leaning commentators wishing that to be true. But a lot of it just going, we just have to write stuff. You know, there are comment pages that need to be filled. Mm. And uh, yeah, and, and that's, a better option than just saying, yeah, nothing's changed since last week. <laughs> just checking, well, yeah, we have in the next had like, week.
0: We've had like seven years of heavy metal and now we've got like a busker with a ukulele. It's quite a bit of a, it's a bit of a phase shift.
2: It really is. I mean, it's something I have many thoughts on because again, I'm a freelance political journalist and I my, my career relied on politics being mental all the time. That's what paid my rent for the past, mm. you know, five in a bit years. And I'm now like, huh?
0: That said, it is a bit remarkable that soon after all this, after we've I've sorted Northern Ireland. I'm gonna sort the small boats. It's all it's all happening. Competence is back. After all that, and a pretty kind of unrelenting two week period of pure coverage of that, Sunak's figures are down and Starmers have gone up when he has he not really done anything. That's got to be significant. It will.
2: <sighs> so yes and no, isn't there like I, I can't remember. I'm going to quote something and I can't remember where it was from. But, you know, I think it was around 97 of saying sometimes the public, and that's in Britain and elsewhere, just thinks, you know, we've had enough and that's it. Yeah. And actually, and there's nothing the governing party can do at that point. Like something just shifts. And then that's that. And I think that's basically what's happened to the Conservative Party. But also, I think we shouldn't forget that in those weeks, there was also, you know, Boris Gate episode 1,500,000. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- which did paint the Conservative Party in not the best light yet again, um, but but yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. There's you know a tremendous amount that actually Rishi Sunak can do. Like even just keeping broadly level in the polls, yeah, uh, is probably an achievement in itself right now.
0: The pitch at the next election is we're not going for a fifth term. We're going for the first full term of Rishi Sunak. I'm like, good oh, luck bless, with that.
2: Bless, yeah, God yeah, yeah. love you. You give that a go God and you tell you. us, <laughs> how we're, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, meanwhile, I mean, amongst this week's exciting little, you know little nuggets sort of popped up. People's satisfaction with the NHS is at its lowest level since the National Centre for Social Research started asking people what they thought of the NHS. We've had the worst collapse in living standards since the war, so just like shouting Rwanda is not necessarily going to fix that. Oh, here, um, do you think the Conservative press has gone with Rishi's back, back, back a little too soon?
3: Just a bit. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's
3: so, and and again, uh, going back to what was said about when you look at a queue of coaches in Dover that are demonstrably to do with Brexit and then say this doesn't have anything to do with Brexit it sounds really weird and when the rest of the pages of the news section are showing you know all of these like staggering uh, sort of poll uh, discrepancies between the parties and then you find yourself in the Column page, what, what's the phrase that keeps you whisper it, whisper it? But, yes. it's, uh, that's the,
0: I, I, but also, it's a, always a photograph of somebody tilting their head with a finger on the chin going, oh, I <laughs> think Rishi is going to win the election. That's what I think.
3: And it's just like, listen, we're not, none of us have a crystal ball and we don't know. And maybe something really weird will happen, yeah. what have you. But it does feel extremely jarring given the context of, you know, if you open up a news app and you see on like the, the top headline is that poll and then you go to the comment section and see something different. And I've seen. A few of these uh, recently in The Times, and uh, David Aronovich, now formerly of The Times, uh, has started up a substack, and his first post uh, on that has just basically been a dissection of these whisper-it-but
0: Rishi Sunak, and and just basically saying, like, do you not know how weird this seems? (laughs) uh, (laughs) You read your own paper. (laughs) So, I mean, setting aside the extreme callousness of the small boats thing... It isn't even working. The, again, the Times, uh, a poll found that people are getting less confident that Sunak can achieve what he said. The more they go out and campaign for it. Bravo insisting on Koonsberg that Rwanda is safe for migrants and that she didn't see the evidence that refugees were shot dead by police there in 2018. It's, all these things are making people less confident in the small boats uh, policy, not more. So first of all, obviously, none of
3: us want to set aside its extreme callousness. That is also like at the heart of it and a deeply uh, distressing thing. And it's been very weird hearing sort of various conservative politicians sort of trying to one-up one another on the level of performative cruelty that they can put uh, extremely vulnerable people into and then when someone's like, oh, we're going to put them on a boat and it's going to be the worst boat that you've ever seen. It's like, well, the only suitable uh, place for that boat is your constituency." Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that uh, actually and then backtracking themselves immediately, which hardly inspires confidence. Yeah, it, it sounds like a bunch of people who just want to yell from the rooftops, I'm the biggest bastard that there could conceivably be on this, but not actually do anything about the situation. Like I think with so much in this country at the moment, there's just a thing of, right, state capacity has been progressively shrunk over 13 years. And there you go. All right. And that results in whatever the whatever the particular issue uh is in this particular case right and then the conservative party will say well how about we do this and yeah. just uh, and it's never just like oh what about just the restoration of state capacity to what it was because i feel as though lots of these things didn't used to be problems on the scale that we're talking about at the moment but you have to have the shiniest most elaborate and cruelest policy position on everything as opposed to just going out, as Lisa Nandy actually said out uh, over the weekend of like these are the things that did work in the past and have just
0: been stripped away and like why wouldn't you go for that? Labour are saying that they won't oppose the Rwanda policy uh, because they think it won't happen and therefore it won't need opposing. This seems a strange position but Actually, making a stand against it and saying that in government that, that they would repeal it. Is that essentially that Have we reached the, the level of just pure abstract politico- politicking over this, where, it, you know, the, as we were saying, the extreme callousness and cruelty of it isn't even a factor? Yeah, absolutely. And
3: then you end up in a situation where very few people other than those coming from like organizations who deal with uh, sort of refugees on the ground or migrants on the ground and if they actually ever end up talking about this as like a live thing that is happening to human beings it just gets used as a sort of yeah the the pawn to move around or the political football to uh, kick back and forth i think that there there is to a certain extent i guess like i can understand why you wouldn't want to play the, like if you just suggested something absolutely insane and horrid and cruel and everything. And Marie's only question to me was like, "Will will you repeal that? And I'll just be like, no, I don't. It's not going to happen. Like, don't yeah. do it. Don't do it in the first place. Uh, and everything. So it feels a bit weird that, you know, it, it, it would feel like you have to sort of accept someone else's term. premise. Oftentimes with Rishi Sunak, like you get a sense that like what he really does care about uh, is stuff like so i can readily imagine that he does really care about cptpp or i can imagine that he really does care about what pension funds are allowed to do in the aftermath of brexit and how investments are allowed to be made uh in that relation like he has historically been a finance guy maybe isn't like hugely capital p political or whatever. But that doesn't sort of excuse the fact that lots of people around him absolutely are and are very willing to push those buttons and whistle those whistles that we desperately do not want uh in in sort of contemporary society. or I would argue at least that we desperately do not want in our society. But can they push those whistles and whistle those buttons? <laughs> that's what I want to know. That's that's your debut single, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Isn't it also, I mean, I am generally just guessing at this stage, but the case that the Tories are presumably doing a lot of the Rwanda refugee stuff to, like, it's a trap for Labour, right, of saying, you know, we're going to do this mental thing purely so Labour can say, hang on, that's mental, and then that's their posters for the election in all the Red Wall seats, etc. sorted. So I think by Labour saying, actually, we're just not going to engage in any way, um, you know, you kind of spike that, like, you, you sort of nip that in the bud, like, in the, yeah, so you sort of nip that in the bud, um, It is my sense.
0: Mm. Arthur, uh, one of the most unpleasant things of the weekend was seeing Sunak go all in on raising far-right favourites at the Pakistani grooming gangs thing and saying that it's political correctness that stopped them from being prosecuted. Is he being inauthentic as well as irresponsible, do you think?
1: Well, he's definitely being inauthentic because he's now actually sort of tried to backpedal a little. And I think this is uh, a classic illustration of Sunak lacking political uh smarts he's obviously an intelligent man but he he's not very good at politics he's apparently today uh, around lunchtime then refused to say that these gangs are mostly british pakistani so he obviously felt uneasy but he'd already then as as you observed complained about political correctness so so he's he's sort of stuck in the middle he's trying to be all things to all people and maybe no things to anyone
2: but I feel like that's something he's done before. There's a pattern there. Like when he was losing to Listras over the summer, you know, you'll remember like his policy platform just became more and more unhinged incredibly quickly. Which I, if I remember correctly, culminated in him saying, was it something like there should be a prison sentence guaranteed for anyone found with any amount of any drug on them, or like something along those lines? Which obviously, everyone went
3: what? Yeah.
2: <laughs> just <laughs> what? Um, so he does. I think he does do that as well. He he will panic and go really right wing, and then quite quickly go well everyone ignore what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I panic. <Well, laughs> We've yeah, all been and of there. Course,
1: the other really good example of this is, is the Bre- the Great Repeal Bill or whatever the fuck it was called. Because cause remember, we got that because like, Liz Truss said, I'm, you know, I'm going to repeal every law in, in however many days. And then Rishi Sunak was going to halve the number of days or something. So it's this sort of endless attempt because he, I suppose he's not very original. Um, so he, he's always trying to bounce off what other people are doing. But then he doesn't quite have the, the backbone to follow it through. We're about
0: to descend down the rabbit hole of uh, the local elections, and there's that incredible photograph of uh, Sunak pointing at a pothole in a company of a bunch of conservative campaigners who... I've got. i got to think, it looked like a still from a Pixar movie. There were a lot of there were a lot of different types there of were. people in the picture. Shall we say? Um, is it going to be a bit
1: of a relief to be talking about LTNs and potholes? Well, and, uh, yeah. Rather than, I the, mean, I uh, don't want to fat shame, but one of them looked like he made his own pothole everywhere he walked. Um, yeah, but, um he's a big lad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, that you have this problem that that the local elections, to the extent that people really get excited about them. Uh, it is by definition very local, and and it is people who are very very politically engaged who are who are really focused on issues, of, you know, about the particular road crossing in, in their ward or, or or you know the quantity of dog turds in the local park. And it's quite hard, I think, to build yourself up as a credible prime minister um, by staring at potholes. And and in a way, that's Rishi Sunak's problem that he's he seems to struggle with the credible prime minister bit.
0: now the united states is being torn apart by a legal battle to rival kramer versus kramer and 12 angry men involving one of the most influential and controversial people in the united states possibly in the world gwyneth paltrow has won a single dollar in her case against a man who she crashed into during a skiing trip in 2016 also some guy called donald trump is about to be arrested becoming the first former u.s president to face charges in a criminal case Sky News posted a live feed outside Mar-a-Lago over the weekend, but it's likely that his actual arrest will be in New York this week, where a grand jury voted to indict him over the Stormy Daniels money affair. The former headliner of WrestleMania 32 could be fingerprinted and have a mugshot taken, which he will turn into mugs, t-shirts and a limited edition Trump Shank Redemption commemorative bust, clad in pure three-carat gold. Order now to avoid disappointment. Well, listen, Arthur's already clarified that golden busts can be extremely dangerous. So. We know this. We absolutely yeah. know this. Arthur, as of recording time, we don't know the specific charges exactly, but there are two dozen on the docket. There is a protest plans near the Manhattan DA's office, and Trump has promised death and destruction if he's arrested. It doesn't look like we're really going to get the full January the 6th, though, does it?
1: I don't think so. It, it doesn't appear that there are that many people ready to do that. And... uh is it because he hasn't sort of built up the crowd enough or is it because even if you're a mega pro-Trump person, it's quite hard to to go and do a sort of little insurrection about a porn star hush money thing? I just wonder that it doesn't, so it's not the kind of thing that gets you riled up. Also, it's New York where everybody hates it. Well, there is that, you but, know, but people were willing to travel to Washington DC. I mean, it, there weren't locals doing the insurrection, were they? Well, you know, wide streets in Washington D.C. kind of, you know, a connection with Paris, where the streets are wide and good for
0: rioting. In New right. York City, you can't cross the street, let alone kind of storm anything. Yeah, you. that's true. Yeah. As I say, the docket is a bit of a mystery at the moment. We know the core of it, um, I mean, but are we in for a situation? Are we in for the Al Capone situation here, where he is caught and punished for perhaps a minor charge in the grand scheme of things, but it's the one that can be proved?
1: Well. Let's remember that this is just the bit where they charge him. And of course, it could it could uh, string on for ages. And also, it could be a criminal charge, but a fairly low level crime. Uh, I think that in a way, the, the more interesting thing to wonder about is, is the layers of legal jeopardy that he's in. So he's got this one, which is now, well, tomorrow morning. And then he's got the Georgia, you know, trying to get them to find his term, find 12,000 votes. That's problematic. That's much more problematic, clearly. And then he's got the thing where he it seems pretty clear that he deliberately took a whole lot of highly secret documents and stashed them at Mar-a-Lago. This wasn't an accident of filing. This was a plan. Uh, and that's pretty serious. So I think it may be that that it's, it, this is like a sort of chord building up. And we've only got the low note at the moment, but we're soon going to have the full C major, you know? Yeah, the impression seems to be that... Um... That this particular
0: case isn't so much what well, you know. It is significant in turn right? It's a, it's a, you know, it's a felony. It's a, yeah. you know, uh, it's a campaign finance um, crime that he's accused of. But on a political level, it kind of breaks the seal, as it were, and that other jurisdictions who might have feared the political consequences of prosecuting him will now see this going forward and be less concerned at the, the political blowback. Well, there is going to be serious political blowback in New York, isn't there? The DA is already you know effectively a marked man
1: that's right and and i mean in one regard you know some people are saying it's a shame this one happened first because lots of people even people who are very opposed to trump will say well come on is it really that important um but i think in a way you know surely it's important that a former president is being charged with something that most people could agree is wrong they might not they might not regard it as a major crime but they would most, I think, most normal ethical people would think that paying off a porn star with money that was donated to you for a political campaign is that's that's not a good thing. That's not like if your kids do that, you don't you don't encourage them to keep doing it. So it's a sort of thing that I think most people have a sniff test around. I think if my kids are paying off porn stars, I'd be very
0: there'd be a it'd be a very serious conversation. I, I Yeah. I'd yeah. Be, that, yeah. Uh,
1: like,
3: uh, it, it, yeah, you'd have the two shocks of firstly realizing that you have children. <laughs> and, uh, it would uh, be like that, <clears throat>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, well, I mean, essentially, you know, Michael Cohen did go to prison for this. Yeah. It's not so unserious that a guy didn't go to jail. And the question arises well, if Michael Cohen goes to jail, how is it that the actual guy
1: who made it happen shouldn't even be prosecuted? Seems to be a logical Well, yeah. But I mean, there. let's not pretend. And I'm not not holding out the US as, as the only place where this is the case, that, you know, the higher up the tree you are, the less likely you are to do time. And how, how many uh, senior British politicians can you think of who've uh, seen the inside of a jail cell? True. Chris Hewn. Uh Exactly.
2: Chris Hune Eurasia.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I hear polls indicate that the indictment actually boosted support for Trump amongst Republicans. Newsweek had him uh, up from 44% approval for, for the uh for the preferred candidates amongst Republicans before the charges were announced, and afterwards fifty six percent so is this the kind of um permanent victim bond scenario working for him, or is it literally the case that whatever you do to Trump just makes him stronger?
3: Yeah well I think it's hey it's crucial to remember, as you said that this is among Republicans, yes. and even then it's like fifty six percent so a like slight majority uh or whatever like certainly i I've never really bought this whole like what whatever you do to the guy makes him stronger it's like like he's literally he's not the president like and he's not like he's yes, the guy didn't who
0: didn't make him stronger <laughs> it made him weaker yeah
3: it's like this is the guy who in 2016 became president of the united states having received millions fewer votes than his opponent owing to the technicalities of the way that the united states constitution works which basically means that land gets to vote in a way that uh Lots of, like, people don't. And, you know, he he was impeached twice. He's not the president anymore. He tried to overturn an election and that failed. Uh, so, like, I think that there can end up being this narrative about people like Donald Trump or Boris Johnson that says, "Ah, oh, well, these guys like full Teflon, nothing that you do matters uh, with these guys," and it completely ignores the fact that neither of them are actually in power anymore, uh, for, yeah. like as a result of their own myriad failings.
2: And they're also very electorally unpopular. Like, yeah, yeah, them. like that as that's well. Like the public also does not like them. So there's are yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, yeah, for the two of them, it's quite striking how people are like, "How do they keep getting away with it?" And it's like they're really not getting away with it. <laughs> At all.
0: <laughs> well, they're getting away with it to the extent that they're not actually in prison yet. Mm. But that's kind of, But you're right, they're not president. Yeah, if right, that's your
2: it? line, you yeah. know, <laughs> that really about your life has taken a wrong turn. If you're like, hey, 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 I am not currently in prison. <laughs> so,
0: hey. Yeah, you say, say what you like about me. I'm not yeah. actually in jail. However, you say that, Marie. You say that with your spot learning. But apparently we learned this week that there's no prohibition against running for president from jail. He could do it. He could go he to jail. Could,
2: oh, God. Um, I do know... God, I can't remember his name now when I was researching Honourable Misfits. Um, so before they changed the rule on MPs going to prison and getting arrested, etc., one MP um, some decades ago ended up in jail and still sent uh, written questions to ministers from prison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which, yeah. Will you let me out?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello! Me again. Hi, have, you got,
0: have you got any snout? <laughs> that kind of thing. I
2: don't It's a um, But, yeah, I mean, he's not going to do that, though.
0: Mm.
2: I, I don't, you know... I I can't even finish that sentence. I have no idea. Like, I, I just me. do not think, you know what, fine. I, I'm happy to put my hand to the fire here. I do not believe Donald Trump will run for president from prison.
0: You gave me incredible 2015 vibes when you said that. <laughs> that couldn't possibly happen.
2: Well, I've, no, I
0: it's on tape now it's too late yeah. or whatever we record this
2: yeah. thing <laughs> so, it's also
0: it's, I will just say on this like what I really love
3: about stuff like this is like oh well there's no explicit prohibition on you running for the presidency and I was like yeah because there was sort of some assumptions I guess that were made <laughs> but that's uh, the point. beforehand yeah. but it, it's really fascinating because like you asking this has made me think back to like reading the Federalist Papers uh, years and years yeah, ago just... and you had these yep <laughs> damn right, uh, damn right uh, and uh, did I I originally do it for my degree. Yes, have I since occasionally dipped back in for fun? Hell yeah! Um, that's a listen. That's what. That's why I'm on this show. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's really fascinating that. Two hundred and fifty years ago, you had Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay writing these sequence of essays. The entire subtotal of which could be like the Sparks Note version is: "Do not let specifically this guy uh, <laughs> become the president of this guy." And they spelled it out like it's very detailed. Like everything you read it, and you are like, "Oh, you're you're basically describing him without saying." And his name will rhyme with uh, Ronald Bump. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it's really weird. So. Yeah, give, given how prescient a lot of the stuff was about the impacts of a sort of populist demagogic figure and the ways in which what they perceived to be the safeguards in the system would have stopped it and in, in reality ended up not being able to stop it. Um, it's Yeah, it's odd that they didn't think of that one because that oh. would have been a pretty obvious one, uh,
0: it turns out. Hell of a sequel musical <laughs> to Hamilton, I would have thought. Marie, there is something poetic in Trump being done not for – Treason or incitement to insurrection, or you know, sort of enriching himself, but actually just for paying off a porn star—it's very on brand, isn't it?
2: It is, and I feel like you know, and, and I do remember, you know, when when the God—that feels like it was a million years ago—we've all got sold so in that time, but um, you know, when there was the leak of that tape of Donald Trump saying "grab, uh, grab them by the pussy," and the time when I think I and lots of people are like, okay, well, he's done. Clearly, he's done. No one can get elected, you know, with people knowing about this. And lo and behold, that's not quite. A, what happened? So I think that, you know, for Stormy Daniels to be the architect of his demise. And for her, I think her comment on the day as well was saying, well, this pussy grab back was mm. actually just quite a pleasing, you know, still very depressing, obviously, in many ways, but like quite a pleasing sort of arc, like narrative arc.
0: She seems quite fun. She seems quite she, fun.
2: I would definitely go out on the lash with her.
0: There you go. Well, this podcast is... If listening. you're
2: listening, Stormy. Maybe,
0: <laughs> I she's a Patreon backer. Arthur, Rob DeSantis, Florida governor, has said he would not let Trump be extradited from Florida to New York which is, is that would actually be illegal of him to say, but he he's said it anyway. And hilariously, Trump then said that he would give himself up anyway. What level of um, alpha-turd antler
1: display are we seeing here between these two? It, it's so pathetic, isn't it? That The way that American conservatives consistently prostrate themselves and humiliate themselves before Trump. Let's not forget that that other um, great southern political leader, Ted Cruz, briefly thought he might stand up to Trump, Trump then massively insulted his wife, which, for you know, for most men, even even if your marriage is on the rocks, that's one of those things you you kind of say, um, "I think we'll draw a line here." No, but no, you know, Cruz Cruz was just all in with Trump. He did, yeah, fine, you insult my wife in public, I'm still going to support you. So I think that you know, it's just it is extraordinary to watch. Uh, the least courageous political movement in the world, which is the US Republicans. And they're all in terror of this one man, a man who, you know, got bone spurs to avoid going to Vietnam, and and who's a a kind of complete shadow of a human being. And yet they're all terrified of him. It's quite bizarre. That's
3: another thing that as I've said on this podcast before, always struck me as a really weird similarity between uh, Trump and Johnson, just the level of people who were willing to go to bat for them knowing for what, like, well, he'd never do it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yet, inexplicably,
0: time after time. Just to wrap this up, there is one possibly serious precedent being set here, which is that opening a case against Trump, which the Republicans are busting a gut to class as politically driven, it does pretty much guarantee that when the wheel turns, the Republicans will now regard political prosecutions, politically based prosecutions as legitimate, don't you think? Yeah,
1: but I think that's already happening. So, um, you know, it, it, back in the House of Representatives, uh, the, the, the headbangers, the Marjorie Taylor Greene and her crowd, they're trying to impeach Joe Biden, you know, for some sort of mysterious range of things that they haven't quite decided what they are yet. Uh, and of course, you'll remember the whole chant for Hillary Clinton was lock her up. Of course, what's interesting about all of these cases um, against Trump, unlike the two impeachments of him, which by definition were political. Of course, you, we could perhaps agree that they were justified, but they were definitely political. Uh, all of these cases are independent prosecutors coming from different states, looking at different issues, all acting uh, with zero, um, you know, oversight from from the, the executive from from the Biden administration. So, I, I mean, I think you you have to accept that that the Republicans. Um, aren't capable of running America in according to any, you know, moderately democratic means. And that's why they've given up on elections anyway. Yeah, the fact that the Republicans
0: might do completely unjustified and entirely politicised prosecutions in the future is not a reason to not do a completely legitimate, completely justified one right now. Yeah. yeah. it's also just strikes me as
3: a bit weird to be
0: like, so, do you know what? You'll
3: never get... So, this guy... All he tried to do was overthrow the government and career civil servants did not take kindly to him. It's like, it
0: like, oh, they, they don't like him politically. It's like, well, probably not. Finally, hands up who's a little bit tired of the papers telling them not to like that thing that they like. Because that thing you like is either politically suspect, or else you've seen it all before, or maybe it's just not all that great in the first place. Whether it's that travel piece that was doing the rounds a couple of weeks ago where an American exchange student complained that Italy was too foreign, or the Guardian berating succession for not actually bringing down the 1%, the fastest way to eyeballs is to slag off something that everybody enjoys. You could call it monalism. But we're calling it monalism. Nobody else has. How has it come to this? Is it the new clickbait? Why do people want to write this stuff? Um, Marie, you're a hard working freelance journo out in the brutal world of freelance journalism. Have you ever pitched a monalism piece where you've taken a tilt at something that's universally popular?
2: Oh, so absolutely. Precisely once. It was a deeply traumatic event. Uh, it was many years ago. Um, and I wrote, so I used to work at Metro. Um, again, this is like, what, sort of like eight years ago, something? Anyway, um, and I thought something before monalism was really a thing, but I thought, oh, I, I think it may have been literally talking in the newsroom where I was like, well, you know, as a foreigner, I do not get why people love Nando's because I think it's really overpriced. You had a go is. at
0: Nando's. Overpriced? That so-
2: for what it is You could be it's deported just not, for it's, that kind
0: of
1: talk. It's just
2: not that good. And also I sort of hate that it's you know, again, it's not quite fast food, it's not quite a proper like sit-down restaurant. Anyway, and then they're like, Okay, write it up. Now, honest to God, and I have been a journalist for a decade now. It was the most abuse by far I have ever got from one article. I got death threats. Oh my it was God. so bad. But for days and days and days, on any medium, people sent me horrible abuse about my piece saying that Nando's was overrated.
0: I've got to say, you should have been forced to make a televised apology for that because you can't ever got Nando's. It's one of the three good things about the country at the moment. I
2: genuinely don't like it.
0: What flag do you have in your Nando's chicken? What
2: but again, I've not been for years because I don't like it. And also in London, there are so many options for the same price. Even, I will say, the real Greek, that's something I'd take. It's probably cheaper than Ando's and the food is better. And it's an actual restaurant where a waiter comes to your table to order, to take your order.
3: I don't even know who you are anymore. I love Nando's so much that I'm a vegetarian and I still love Nando's. There you go. That's
2: so weird. That's so weird. Oh, God. Yeah, no. Anyway, yeah, so that's the one time I did a thing of like, oh, that thing you think is good, I think is bad. And it went so poorly for me that I have not done it since. Well, the
0: thing is that I'll give you this. Clearly, you're sincere in your irrational and frankly incomprehensible dislike of Nando's. But so many of these stories are clearly like, I'm going to say the thing that nobody wants to be said because that's where the clicks are.
2: Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I I, I I, think all of them have at the very least a grain of truth. And mm. then the editors may, you know, and I've been a victim of that many times of you write something that is actually quite considered or quite or quite lighthearted as well. Um, and then editors will just put the most aggressive mm. headline and subheadline and it's like, oh, God, oh, God. So I think actually the writers are probably not the corporates here. It is the editors you want to go after.
0: Editors are awful people. I know this. I they am one. Uh things I've seen attacked as problematic in this in this sense lately include Gwen Stefani's Harajuku Girls.
2: That's kind of true, though.
0: She, she's already she's doing it live. Friends, racist.
2: I've not watched it in many years, but okay. I'm sure it was quite problematic.
0: Baby, it's cold outside. Sexist and coercive.
2: Oh no, there's been so many rounds of discourse on that. Like, I will not fill you in, but no, there are so many layers to that one.
0: Love, actually, body fascism.
2: I've never watched it, so I haven't no even. I haven't
0: seen it either. I oh, he's sort of looking away. Have you seen that? Have you seen Love Actually? I've seen Love Actually. Yeah. Oh no,
2: Love Actually! Sorry, I heard Love Island for some reason again. Yeah, actually, well, that's definitely
0: uh, body fascism. Yeah. And uh, Star Trek imperialist. I don't know. It's just like they're going out into space to meet people. <laughs>
2: yeah, I thought like they're quite friendly.
0: They are always interfering though. Um, that story that I mentioned, the American student in Italy, Stasia Datskavaska. Uh complaining that all of her mates were going out partying and the locals were judgy about her. You went into print to defend her. You thought she had a fair point.
2: No, I think defending her again is quite strong. Mm. Um no, I, I felt a bit bad for her because she's clearly quite young and wanted a commission. And again, I think the editor should not have taken that pitch. Yeah. Um. And also, I mean, no, no. To be fair, like I, I, did find Italians quite frustrating as well uh, to, <laughs> to live alongside for two months. So, so I, I did fine. I did have a bit of sympathy on that level. But it was also a bit. Reading is like she was like, okay, well, I was doing an online internship at the time, and all I really care about is my studies and my LinkedIn and having a good career. And it was a bit like, oh yeah, of course. In that case, you would really hate Italy. Like it's just like why Which you know not and having like like a- great
0: food and. And beautiful scenery. Exactly, and...
2: People take a year out to go to Italy to do nothing apart from eat and drink. So that's not what you wanted to do. Why did you go to Italy? So that, that was a slight word. I, I can sort of see why she was unhappy, but also she brought it on herself.
0: Yeah. I hear you work at the coalface of observational comedy. That thing you like is shit. It's a bit kind of nursery step, isn't it? I think that that could be a very successful new podcast. Uh, just, sure, just call it? it that.
3: Uh, yeah. No, I think that uh, I'm, I'm going to have to change tack from my earlier uh, full threaded defence of Nando's, uh, which is to say, no, not not to take an anti-Nando's position. This is a uh, no. disappointing. But uh, <laughs> the anti-Nando's league. Yeah. Um, but. I've often felt like one thing that's really been lost a lot through the internet and social media is the idea of something not being for you. Uh And yeah, just like, leaving this like i'll often like see a film uh or something like that i'll just be like no oh, it wasn't for me like i can see the i can see the appeal uh on xy but like oh there's a bit of the camera thing that i found distracting or whatever like it's so it's not for and that's that's sort of fine whereas if you have to have every opinion dialed up to 11 in order to generate as much uh sort of uh, traction as you conceivably can and that's not even getting into like whether or not the opinion is sincerely held like you get the sense that a lot of the time it is like very clearly like oh no one actually thinks this and i don't actually think this but this is a way to mm. go extremely viral for a moment or
2: not to defend monolism, but I think actually a big part of the problem is people reacting really badly to it and taking it weirdly personally. So mm. if, you know, say someone writes a piece saying, oh, well, you know, succession is actually bad. Somehow, you know, the thing that happens now and you'll get thousands of people going, well, you're wrong, I love it. And it's yes. like, oh, well, I mean, people are allowed to disagree, that's fine. So I think there's also a weird thing of like, there's a never-ending mm. cycle of like, sure, those pieces probably should not all get commissioned, but also people should not react like, you know, like the writer drove over their cat specific <laughs> yeah. every single time.
0: Mm. Arthur, one reason we're talking about this is that uh, The Guardian decided to revisit Tate Modern's blockbuster Suzanne exhibition and give it a bit of a kicking. Um, this caused terrible reductions in the, in the podmaster's office. Uh, the piece featured his famous quote, with an apple I shall astonish Paris, and replied, okay, mate, nobody has ever been astonished by an apple, which... Tell that to Isaac Newton, etc. Um, what, 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 what did you think? Well,
1: the first thing I think, is that as someone who makes cider, I am often astonished by apples—the mm. most remarkable fruit. That is, hold on, I'm just going to
3: have to stop you because <laughs> that is that is the single most like that. That is a dozen seconds of the
1: most you I have ever. <laughs> <laughs> Prime Arthur, yeah. we've reached peak Arthur. <laughs> yeah. I have strong opinions on apples, but then. Um, and then but then the, if you go to the article itself uh it's it's quite funny in a sort of you know mm. low level contrarian manner but then um then she writes Cezanne is probably the greatest of all apple depictors the surface light he captures the color transitions as the fruit ripens and rots the masterly suggestion one is about to roll off the table so for someone who's who's saying that apple pictures are a bit shit um the article is is strangely complimentary of these pictures
2: I was just going to say I'm choosing my words very carefully here, but it is possible that occasionally sometimes um, the Guardian may be guilty of that somewhat of, of, <laughs> oversexing. You know? I'm, have I been a victim of this in the past multiple times? I couldn't possibly comment. Couldn't
0: possibly say. Hmm. Well, I think we could all agree it's a bit much to castigate succession for not actually ending elite capitalism.
1: Yeah. That's a bit much. Oh, clear. yeah. I remember I, I, mean, r- I used to be, do a bit of student journalism, and there was this – they had a feature in the uh, – student newspaper that were like here's a thing every week that's crap and one week they had a article a long article explaining how the Bodleian library is crap <laughs> and given that I think it has that's more great. books than any other library or, or certainly yeah. has a hell of a lot of books I thought that was that was stretching it a bit well I mean maybe it might be crap for getting fast food in or, or whatever but it, it in its core function as a place full of books it, it, it's really quite good I think
2: I think that's maybe I'd make a bad editor. I don't know. I find that incredibly funny that someone writing it up, I would love that as like someone who clearly got confused about what it was saying, my burger was cold. You know, I tried to get a drink, the waiter wouldn't come.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But also, given what I was in defense of all of this, perhaps, is that... Given the amount of contrarianism that I have read about deeply serious issues and like got very frustrated with the way that the authors seem to regard these things as just like playthings to Mm be uh, sort of dismissed willy nilly uh, or I would much rather have a fun chat about why someone likes Nando's and uh, or someone doesn't like Nando's or something ridiculous of why the Bodleian Library is a bit crap, uh, rather than if the, if those contrarian energies need to be uh, channeled anywhere, I would much rather it were that than into something that has tangible negative impacts on actual human lives, which unfortunately a lot of that contrarian energy is channeled. I agree. Towards, and I it think
1: it? that's a, that feature of, of it doing it with the serious things is a feature more of North American journalism. I remember... It, very vivid because the phraseology of it was uh, someone wrote an article talk, talking about Hannah Arendt, who, as everyone will recall, was a philosopher who also wrote the um, book about Eichmann in Jerusalem. And of course, she coined this phrase, the banality of evil. And then there was an article about the banality of the banality of evil, which made me think that then should be an article about the banality of the banality of the banality <laughs> of evil. Yeah. But anyway, you get the point. That's, that. I I am, I am actually annoyed at that
0: thought. It's like, Somebody had a go at how I, I, I know, I know, I well, know. You, yeah. you come up with your
1: ringing phrase exactly. that'll last for a yeah. century. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll talk. You bloody yeah, witness your the thing. greatest war crimes cry of the century. And then and then and we'll then we'll hear from you, you know. Yeah. Give us a shout when it's ready.
0: caught to the end of the show so it's time for escape routes what are the things that have been distracting us from politics this week and god knows we need distracting from it
1: arthur well my escape route has just left me because uh for the last three months my choir had been preparing for a concert and the concert was on saturday night and of course it went brilliantly but now i feel a little bit bereft What do you sing? Well, I sing bass, and we were singing. It's a choir that specializes in fairly early music. So Heinrich Schutz, the greatest hits of the early 17th century Germany. Um, William Byrd, I'm sure you're all familiar with his work, uh, Elizabethan composer surely
3: like early music is like tens of thousands of years old i was thinking gregorian
2: chants for some reason
0: early music is just like hitting an antler with yeah, ram. Yeah.
1: That, was, that was the first half before the interval yeah
0: i would i would i would i would definitely i would
1: definitely mean, pay to see arthur doing that
0: i can't see arthur in the kind of choir that sings something inside so strong though that's definitely not gonna be his, his kind of choir vibe marie how about you
2: so I've been reading The Years by Annie Ernaux, who uh, recently won the Nobel Prize. She's a French writer, very famous, although um, I'd never read any of her books. So basically, I, I got sort of you know taken over by shame uh, a few months ago. I thought I should probably, you know, read some of her books. And well, although quite um, amusingly, several of my friends were also very quietly saying, I'd never read any of her stuff either. <laughs> so we're also like quietly like cramming in. But um, and then she's absolutely tremendous. So like, she's mostly written lots of very short books, but... Um, the years is kind of her masterpiece, I suppose. Um, and, and, and it is a sort of autobiography. So like 1940 until I think 20, 2005, maybe I've not finished it yet. But it but it's sort of like it's both her life and the kind of life of the French woman in those years. So she doesn't write really about herself, but also it is about herself. So it's that really fascinating mix of the kind of personal, the political, the societal and um, and also yeah, just really well written. And I, I know for a fact it's been translated to English, so I would really recommend it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, mine is very, very basic. I went to a pop music concert on Saturday. It was Orbital and it reminded me how much I love them. The great institution of British rave, the Hartnell brothers. It's Banging house music, but it's also sophisticated. It's all. It might even tickle Arthur's early music, funny bone, actually, because it's got a lot of uh, kind of uh, lots lot, of lot,
2: antlers. A lot of it's yeah, <laughs> well, a lot of <laughs> What's going on
0: there. Fiery antlers. It's got. Um, uh, one of the tracks off the new album is based around "Ring a Ring of Roses," the uh, the medieval plague song, updated for the modern day, but with the banging electronic beats that would go with the house music act. And it just reminded me how much I love them and how glad I am that after thirty odd years in the business, they're still around said so they were on the hammersmith uh hammersmith apollo i think it's called the events of apollo now and it was just a fantastic audio visual phantasmagoria loads of bass and just you know incredible mind expanding melody so if you get a chance to see orbital over the summer uh then do take it because it's worth it i ah, hear i believe your uh the thing that's been taking your mind away from politics this week has been a bit uh a bit serious
3: yes so um uh, wonderful comedian uh, Gareth Richards and a lovely man um, was involved in quite a serious car accident uh, a few days ago and is very much at the, at the time of recording I believe still sort of holding on but uh, we, we don't know uh, the way that things are going to go and uh As a community, stand-up can often feel like very solitary. You know, you just wander around from place to place. uh, And there are those people who you meet and come into your life and exit your life and come back in who make it feel a bit more like a family. And that's what uh, Gareth really brought um, to us. And so I've watched a few of clips of my friend Gareth Richards doing stand-up and would recommend people do the same.
0: And that's the end of the Tuesday edition of Oh God, What Now? We'll be back on Friday. Or maybe we'll be back on Thursday because of the bank holiday. Who knows? By the way, if you're looking for another reason to support us on Patreon, our next Podcasters Question Time is happening on Zoom on Thursday the 27th of April, exclusive to Patreon backers. Answering your questions this time, Roz Taylor. So sign up to back us and you can register and send your questions in for Roz. In the meantime, here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, along with the latest thanks to some of our Patreon backers. <laughs>
3: Hello, and big thanks from me to Diego Rojo, Edward Lott, and Heidi
1: Henning.
2: All the best and thanks for backing us to Ruth Falls, Kate Hilliam, and Karen revel Kion.
1: Best wishes and thanks for backing us from me to Steve Viggers evans Henrietta Hansen, and Dee Brown. And finally, thanks and all the best from
0: me to Monsters Abound, Olivia Fox Caban. Are you the same Olivia Fox that we had before? If so, welcome back. And Jenny G. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Oh God What Now was presented by Andrew Harrison with Marie Leconte, Ahir Shah, and Arthur Snell. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Kasia Tomashevich and me, Alex Reese. I will defend Nando's to my last breath. Art direction by James Parrott and Mark Taylor. Oh God What Now is a Podmasters production.